Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you listen to this message. So good to see you all today. How are y'all? You good? Are you still rejoicing over the victory of the Chiefs? Yes. Sorry, Pete. Uh, gosh, it's so good. Such a fun, fun week to be able to celebrate that as a, as a, a state. Um, man, I'm going to continue this conversation today on, uh, about healthy conflict. Do you, do you have any conflict this week after our talk Sunday? Okay, you're, man, you guys look mad at me. There's conflict in the room right now. Um, I was thinking about this this morning. You know, uh, this title's great, uh, Healthy Conflict, but really, do you know what we're talking about? We're talking about pleasing Jesus in our relationships. Pleasing him. Not, it's, it's, it's not self-help. It's about pleasing him. And um, the next three Wednesdays are going to be so good. I want to encourage you to, to be here in, in, in this room these next few Wednesdays. We're going to focus on that, equip you to walk in, in our call as peacemakers. Um, Jesus said, we talked about this last week in Matthew 5, 9. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we said last week that there is a significant distinction between being a peacemaker and being a peacekeeper. Do you remember that? We talked about that. A peacekeeper is somebody who's trying to avoid conflict, avoid tension. A peacekeeper is somebody that tries to uh, you know, keep a sense of peace, but it actually isn't true peace. Do you know the difference? Do you recognize the difference? Have you seen that in operation in your own life? You're just kind of trying to keep the peace. Peacekeepers are motivated by trying to please people. Um, trying to make everybody happy, like, hey, everything's good, when actually everything's not good. Um, instead, a peacemaker, though, steps into the tension, steps into the conflict, and makes peace. And a peacemaker doesn't avoid the problem, doesn't avoid the issue, doesn't avoid the elephant in the room. Have you ever had an elephant in the room? We don't want elephants in the room, do we? A peacemaker doesn't avoid those things, but a peacemaker actually leans into the heart of the issue quickly so that that real place of peace can live and can flourish. And this is who Jesus calls us to be in all the spheres of our life. Did you know that I'm called to make peace in my home? I'm called to make peace in my friendships. I'm called to make peace in my marriage. I'm called to make peace in the world around me. And we see this call on believers to make peace all through the scriptures. In fact, Romans 2, 12, 18 is one of my, one of my favorite verses. It says, is, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As far as it depends. If possible, it's saying to the extent that it depends on you, live at peace. And I want to I focus in on, on that little word right in that verse called you for a minute. As far as it depends on you. Turn to your neighbor and say you. Just point at them really good. You. You. It doesn't say as far as it depends on your spouse. It doesn't say as far as it, it, doesn't say as far as it depends on your friend. It doesn't say as long as the other person is reasonable, live at peace with all men. It doesn't say as long as the other person's agreeable or willing to admit that they're wrong, live at peace. It says as, as far as it depends on you. Why? Because you are responsible for you. And I am responsible for me. Remember we said last week that Jesus is talking to you about you. He doesn't talk to you about what somebody else needs to do. He wants to talk to you about the work that he is doing inside of you. He wants to talk to you about what depends on you to live at peace with all people. He wants to talk to you about what's my voice cracked. It must be anointed. He wants to talk to you about what's possible for you to do in the midst of that conflict. He wants to talk to you about what's possible for you to do in the midst of that disagreement because you are responsible for you. Isn't that a good word? Turn to somebody and say, it's talking about you. Yeah. 
which actually means, turn to him again and say, it's talking about me. It's talking about me. Church, we need this, don't we? Like if we're honest, we really need this. Not what somebody else is called to do, but what I'm called to do. Not, not, Not how somebody else should live, but how am I being called by Jesus to live my life? And it's, there's always this temptation to say, well, well, they should have done this or they should have done that or, or they did me wrong, so I responded wrong. But if they, if they would have responded, responded this way, then I would have responded that way. But church, when we live that way, we become unempowered. And our life becomes conditional on what others do or don't do. And instead of living from the word of God and the wisdom of heaven, we're living from our emotions or whatever the, the conflict is that's before us. And what happens in, in the midst of that conflict is that we get confused about our identity because we start taking on aspects of the wisdom of the world instead of the wisdom of heaven And church, they're dramatically and distinctly different, aren't they? Listen to what James says about the wisdom of heaven in verse 17 of chapter 3. He says this, he says, But the wisdom from above is first pure. So the wisdom of heaven is pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. When we sow in peace, the harvest is righteousness for those who make peace. Did you know that when you're sowing in peace, you're going to reap a harvest of righteousness? That's the promise. In the midst of a culture that swirls with conflict, we are called to a different way. We are called to a different wisdom, to live from a different place in this place, and it's called the kingdom of God. It's called the way of Jesus. It's called the wisdom of heaven. Can I hear an amen on that? That's my intro. Are you okay with that? Here we go. We're going to keep moving on here. We're going to go back to Ephesians chapter 4, all right? We're going to work our way through the rest of the chapter. And then I I believe God is going to do some really beautiful things in our hearts as we open his word. Did you know that his word is sharp and it cuts? Every time, I've said this several times over the years, but every time we come together, we open the word of God, we should expect to be convicted. We should want the word of God to challenge our beliefs. We should want the word of God to come in and wash over us and and reveal things to us. I believe his word is going to do that today, and it's going to be so good. So I want to just mention really quickly again the four qualities that Paul gives to the church that are foundational to them and to us. We spent almost our entire time on them last week. I'm going to spend about a minute as we walk out healthy conflict and he urges the church here to walk in a way that's manner, in a way that's worthy of the manner of their calling. And he says, these four qualities are going to be like pillars to you. They're going to be central in how you walk it out. And we went over these. The first one, humility. He says you're going to need lots of it. Gentleness, which is not wimpy, right? It's strength under control. If you were here last week, bearing with one another in love means you're going to have to endure some unpleasant things in the body of Christ. The next one, you're eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. In other words, he's saying guard it. We talked about it being zealous to protect the unity among the body of Christ. All four of these qualities are literally like like a filter, and they're central to us walking out our call together as Jesus' people. In fact, the entire chapter uh, of Ephesians 4 is really about the church growing up in maturity. The entire letter, the entire book of Ephesians could be summarized like this. Paul is making the case for why we need Christian community. Do you believe we need Christian community? Do you believe we need, obviously, you're here in the building today. He's making this this case for why we need life together 
And then he talks about how we walk it out. And these chapters are all about the church. It's not about the world, but it's about the church. It's about the greatness and the beauty of the church and how we're called to navigate and live together. Because how many know that life together gets messy? He gives us this order for how we walk in life together. He isn't just talking about attending services each week and, and walking out and going on your own way in your own life. He's talking about being plunged into life together as Jesus people community. As a Jesus people. It's not, and it's not going to just happen by just kind of showing up in a crowd three or four times a month. It's actually going it's, to, it's, it's a call that he's giving us to be immersed into messy community. It's a place where your flaws and your weaknesses are seen and are known. How many have a few flaws and weaknesses? It's a place where humility and forgiveness and love is going to be central and it's, it's going to be practiced because we're all in the process of growing up. I'm growing up still. I'm 47 and I'm still growing up. I'm growing up. And we're going to need each other to learn. And so jump in here at verse 15 of Ephesians 4. Because we're learning to grow up, he says this. He says, we're going to need to learn to speak the truth in love. He says, speaking the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And the result of being truly in this Jesus community called the church is that we won't have to continue to stay in immaturity. We won't be tossed back and forth by every wave of life or every wind of new doctrine, but because we're in, com in a community that actually speaks the truth in love to one another, a community that doesn't avoid the truth, but we speak it to each other and we speak it to each other in love. In other words, what we're truth tellers. We're telling truth. Did you know that, that truth telling and love go together? Truth telling and love go together. They're not to be separated. Telling truth without love isn't really about truth. It's about you. Have you ever been like, oh, I'm going to just tell them the truth? What's the motivation? Because if I'm going to tell somebody the truth to set them right, but my motive, motive isn't rooted in love, it's actually going to be selfishness and it's going to be about me. And love without truth isn't really love. Love without truth is just another form of lying. You look so great when you don't. Just kidding. We need truth tellers in our lives. Why? Because we have blind spots. Because our perceptions get off. We need people in our lives who are going to tell us the truth. And whose motive in telling it is love. Because if I'm going to mature in Jesus, I'm going to need other believers in my life speaking truth in love to me. And the result is, is this. I'm going to grow up. But you know what? If I don't tell my children the truth, they don't grow up in maturity. If I let my kids just do whatever the heck they want to do and I don't address things with them, they don't mature and grow up. They continue in immature ways. And it's very similar here with what Paul is talking to the church. He's like, you're going to need to speak the truth to one another in love. And in doing so, the body is going to grow up into maturity. See, this is why the crowd thing doesn't work. Because if you come into a crowd and you're just in a service, but you're not connected and plunged into community, then nobody's actually going to speak the truth. They're just going to wave and smile and shake your hand and you're going to go about your life. This is why we need the body of Christ, because when we're rooted in community, actually doing life with others, they can see in the weeds of your life and say, hey, my friend, I see this. And because I love you, I want to speak this truth to you in love. And the result would be that I grew up in every way in Jesus. Verse 22, Paul goes on here. He says, you're going you're to have to put off your old self, which belongs to your former way of life. That way of life, he says there, is corrupt through its desires. 
but now you're being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You're going to have to, in other words, you're going to have to think a different way. Now you don't think like the Gentiles do anymore. You don't think like an unbeliever thinks anymore. That's why you don't act like the world acts. Because now your mind is renewed in truth. And when you stop thinking like the world, you'll stop behaving like the world. See, when I'm thinking like the world, then I start behaving like the world. When I start taking on the characteristics of relationships and and fighting and bickering and quarreling like the world does and accusation and suspicion and harsh words and all of it, then I begin to respond that way. That begins to come out of my mouth because my mind isn't aligned with the truth and renewed in the truth of who I really am. When you stop thinking like them, you'll, you'll stop behaving like them. Renewed mind brings forth renewed behavior. And so you won't step into conflict the way the world engages in conflict. Why? Because now you've put on your new self, created in the likeness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying there. Verse 25, he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. He's talking about truth again. For, get this, we are members of one another. We are members of one another. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Notice it doesn't say, we talked about this a little bit last week, notice it doesn't say, don't be angry. Did you know that anger is a human emotion? I always encourage my girls, hey, anger in itself is not a sin. How you hold and how you release that anger is what matters. Because if, you're, if you pretend you're not angry and you are, you're just stuffing it. And it's actually not truth, right? I don't want my girls stuffing anger. I want my girls processing anger. I don't want the church of Jesus Christ that I'm called to lead stuffing anger and pretending like things don't, don't matter. They do matter. I want us to learn how to process and deal with the anger correctly. Be angry and sin not. Deal with it quickly. Paul is saying don't let your anger lead you into sin because anger can lead into sin. Deal with it quickly before you go to bed. Don't let it continue. Why? Because when you don't deal with it, it grows. See, sometimes, you know, you can't communicate with the person that you're angry with before bed. But you can communicate with the Lord. And you can deal with it before you go to sleep, right? So the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he comes to steal peace, and he comes to destroy relationships. And so what Paul's saying is, hey, don't let that anger fester in you before you go to bed. Deal with it because you don't want that thing growing overnight. Because if that thing grows overnight and it's not dealt with, and then tomorrow you get busy and you don't deal with it, that thing is going to turn into something else that's even worse. If you don't deal with it quickly, he's saying you're inviting the devil to come in. You're literally leaving the door unlocked. You're leaving it cracked open for something worse. And it is a warning because undealt with, anger keeps the door open for strongholds of unforgiveness. It leaves the door open for offenses to come, for bitterness to grow and be built up in our hearts. Have you ever experienced this? You guys are so quiet. You're looking at me so intensely. I'm believing the Holy Spirit is doing a work in us right now. I believe he's going deep in us right now. He's going to set people free by his word today in this. I'm telling you, this is so powerful for us. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. That's why Paul is saying, don't go to bed angry. Protect your heart. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Protect your heart and your mouth is going to be protected. When it gets to the place that things are flowing out of your mouth that aren't pure and lovely and of a good report, there's, it's, it's a symptom of a heart issue. 
But what would happen if we refused to go to bed with things undealt with at night? What if before bed we said, I'm not going to let that anger grow. I'm going to actually deal with that. I'm going to bring that before the Lord before I go to bed so that thing does not grow overnight. He goes to the next verse, verse 29. He says this. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. That's a good one, isn't it? Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. This word grieve means to sadden. This word grieve means to bring deep sorrow or distress. It describes the pain that the Holy Spirit feels. Did you know the Holy Spirit feels things? We might think grieving the Spirit is cutting worship short. Oh man, they really grieved the Spirit that day. They just cut that worship off and Holy Spirit was moving. We often think it has something to do with our worship gatherings. I'm not saying that there can't be elements, but here is the context for what it means to grieve the Holy Spirit. What grieves him? Corrupt talk. What grieves him? Unwholesome talk. What grieves him? Words that tear down. Words that come out of our mouths that are mean-spirited, that are ugly, that are harsh towards others. The word unwholesome here, or corrupting, basically means rotten. Rotten, worthless, like bad fruit. Have you ever had bad fruit that goes rotten, fruit that goes rotten in your house? It's like nasty. Like, how did I let that live in my fridge? It's talking about the spread of rottenness. Guys, this is what grieves the Holy Spirit. This is what brings the Spirit sorrow, bitterness, anger, slander, gossip, backbiting, talking behind someone's back instead of talking to them. That's why he mentions twice, tell the truth. Tell the truth. Because when you don't and you, and you start speaking words and those toxic emotions get built up and that anger builds up and you start spewing things out of your mouth about people or saying words that you wouldn't normally say, what, what's going to happen is the spirit gets grieved. Caring offense. It's all connected here in this. You hear me? You with me? Caring borrowed offense. We talked about that Wednesday night. Passing on the offenses we have to others through unwholesome talk. Did you know that when you have an offense with someone and you pass that on to someone else, they carry that offense? And you and that person you had, the original person that you had an offense with, you may actually make that right and things may good, go, go well and things get recovered. But guess what? The people you told about the offense, they're still carrying that offense and they have no way to get it cut, dealt with. All of this is connected to this. Jesus says, he says, offenses are going to come. He warned us, right? Offenses are going to come. Offenses are com that, that are, are coming is not optional. They're going to come, but being offended is optional. You're going to have plenty of opportunity for offenses in your life. What we do with the offense that comes is up to us. Church, I, the Holy Spirit, I feel like, wants us to be empowered about our temple, about who we are. We don't have to be driven and, and, and moved by everybody and everything that everybody does. We actually can be moved by his word and what he says. 
And what Paul is getting at here is that if you, if you speak unwholesome words to or about another believer, that you're actually assaulting a person who is sealed with the, the same Holy Spirit that you are. And this should, I believe, awaken the fear of the Lord in us. This should awaken the fear of the Lord in us. As I have been in this passage over the last few days, I have felt the fear of the Lord awaken in me. I think about what we have walked through as the large church of Jesus Christ over the last few years. I wonder how much the Spirit of God has been grieved in the ways in which we have talked and dealt with people in the body of Christ that have different views and different perspectives, and all of a sudden we start spewing things out of our mouth that is unwholesome. I believe the Lord wants us to repent of this. I believe there's a place of repentance over our words and the things that we've said, but it's not from here. It's going to be a work of the Spirit in our heart. If you tear someone down, if you spread discord about someone What's happening? You're actually tearing down the temple in which God dwells by his spirit. Because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what tears down or diminishes God's temple grieves God's spirit. Paul says, don't let any of that talk come out of your mouths. But instead, let talk that is good for building up as fits the occasion to come out of you that it may give grace, right, to those who hear. Have you ever been in a room where somebody's speaking negatively and then all of a sudden somebody starts speaking life? Do you feel that shift in the room? Come on, that's what we're talking about, grace to those who hear. Instead of like speaking those words, we shift that and we start speaking life and things that build up. Paul, I was thinking about this, if corrupt talk is what grieves him, The building up of others is what makes Holy Spirit happy. How many want to make him happy? I do too. Paul says all that other talks, toxic talk, toxic agreements with bitterness and anger and slander. Verse 31, he says, put it away from you. I want you to turn to somebody, look them in the eyes real good. Say, put it away. Put it away. I see the ones that are refusing me. I bless you. Put it away. Put it away. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. Put it away. Right in the middle of doing life together. Right in the middle of marriage. Right in the middle of church. Right in the middle of of relationships. In the middle of conflict. In the middle of differences and pain and difficulty. That we would lean in and persevere around his word and his way, you guys. We have to decide who we're going to be. That's what I I sense for us. We have to decide who we're going to be before the next election cycle. We have to decide who we're going to be before the next division. We have to decide who we're going to be before the next problem comes. We have to determine that. We have to decide before the conflict and the pressure comes around us. Because the conflict and the pressures around us do not decide who we're going to be. The conflicts around us do not create the conditions of our heart. They reveal the conditions of our heart. Did you know that? That situation you're facing, that conflict you're facing, it isn't, it isn't, it isn't um, creating the condition of your heart. It's, it's revealing the condition of your heart. And we have to determine who we're going to be in the midst of that conflict and that pressure. And we determine that through aligning with Jesus and his word. And as offenses come, as disagreements come, misunderstandings come, and they try and break up our marriages and our friendships and our unity and our fellowship, we have to decide who we're going to be ahead of time. And we have to refuse to align with the given emotion of the day or the moment of the day, but aligning with what Jesus says and calls us to through his word. I believe this is a word for us today. I believe that this is a word for us to pay attention to. And if we're really, really, really honest, I believe, I believe that, that God wants us to, to open this up because we don't, we don't want to grieve him, right? I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. 
I don't want to grieve his presence in my life. We don't want to cause him sorrow in any way. We want him resting on us, close to us. We don't want anything inhibiting the flow of the Spirit of God in our lives. And I wonder what kind of measure of an outpouring of the Spirit the church is going to experience as we repent of this and we walk in his way. What's going to happen when we actually start making things right with people? When we actually like get that stuff out of our heart and we stop the harshness and we stop the things that we've said and we say, I, I want to walk in what, what the Bible is calling me to walk into. Paul ends the chapter with this in verse 32. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I love how the message says it. It says, it says forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God forgave you. Quickly and thoroughly as God forgave you. How? How do we do this? We look to Jesus. How did he forgive? That's how we forgive. Sometimes you have to remember all you've been forgiven of that you didn't deserve forgiveness for. And when you come into reality and touch with that, it actually releases a grace for you to forgive the way you've been forgiven. Jesus lays out two sort of bookends of sorts in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18 for how to practically walk this out. And I want us just to talk about that in our, our remaining few minutes. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5. He's just talked to the disciples about the real dangers of anger. And he gives the example of being angry with a brother or somebody close to you. Or uh, your brother's angry with you or you're angry with them. And he gives this really practical command to us. In verse 23, this is what he says. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus here, he's imagining somebody getting to the temple after what would have been probably a three-day journey of traveling. It would have taken them three days, and on the way, they buy a sacrificial animal to offer as a sacrifice. And suddenly, as they're about to make that sacrifice in the temple, they remember some relationship that has gone wrong. Okay? What Jesus says, he says, leave the temple, leave that sacrifice right there. Walk three days back to where you came from. Probably about three days, they would have been coming from from Galilee there to Jerusalem, where most of them would have been from, and make things right with the offended person. Then walk another three days back to Jerusalem and offer your sacrifice and bring your worship there. How many say that's kind of a big deal? And then walk another three days home. You talk about your life getting interrupted by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. This is a big deal. Jesus is saying, I care a lot about your relationships. You guys, this is no small thing. This is no small. I care about you maintaining the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So much, in fact, that I actually want you to leave your gift at the altar. Stop worshiping. You're all into worship. And all of a sudden, you remember something that somebody has against you. He says, Put your hands down. Walk out of the room and make it right. That's pretty intense. I mean, I hope it doesn't all happen to all of us at once on a Sunday and then I'm left here <laughs> preaching by myself. Be really weird. I probably would need to go too. But um, stop worshiping. Go to that person that has something against you. In this, this moment, he's not talking about something you have about somebody else. Go to that person that has something against you and make it right. Then come back and worship. 
Then come back and bring your offering. First make things right with your brother. The point that he is making is live day by day in such a way that when you come to worship, there is no anger between you and your neighbor or your brother or your sister. Church, this is a radical call. But it's the call of Jesus. Many of us have heard this text before, but how many of us are walking obedience to do what it actually says? He's given us the strategy here to walk out healthy conflict. Worship and offerings are really important to God, but I want to tell you our relationships are as important. Go work it out. Don't let it fester. Don't let that offense grow. What we see here is a quick response. Immediately you remember it. Don't even offer the sacrifice. Go back. Not later. Not next week. But when you remember. When you remember that your brother has something against you. Don't ignore it. Mend the fence quickly and ask for forgiveness. As far as it depends on you, live at peace. Live at peace. How many know the Holy Spirit will bring things to your mind that you need to go do? Right? So we're worshiping, we're gathering together. Holy Spirit will like remind you of something that you said or you did and you need to go make right with someone. On that drive today in the car with your family, that terrible thing you said. No, I'm just kidding. Um, So Matthew 5 was if you remember your brother or something against you, go. In this instance, here in Matthew 18, it's a little bit different. Matthew 18, verse 15 says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Everybody say alone. Say it again. Between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. That's good, isn't it? So the, the first one is if your brother has something against you, go. In this instance, if your brother sins against you, you go. Look at what the common denominator is. In both, the call is to you. The call is to you. You go to them. Did you notice that it, it doesn't matter who started it? It doesn't matter who, who's more to blame Like, oh, well, they were 80% to blame. I'm 20%, so they need to come to me. That's the wisdom of the world. That's not the wisdom of heaven. Jesus says it's always your move. It's always your move. As far as it depends on you, it's your move. I'm convinced, I keep saying this, that if the church practiced this, and we did it in humility, and we did it in gentleness, and we did it in love, it would be transformational. Church, this is what we have to understand. We don't get to just go and do whatever we want, however we want to do it. We have to align with the word of God. There's an order in the word of God for a reason because it produces life. Because it produces life. There's a way and it's the Jesus way. And Jesus gives us the exact steps of what to do when somebody sins against us and hurts us. We don't go and share it with friends. It doesn't matter if they're praying friends. Help me pray about this. No, Jesus didn't say that. That'll set us free right there. That's not how he said to do it. In Mark 11, he says, if you're standing in prayer and you have something against somebody, forgive them right there. doesn't say go gather friends and and pray about your offenses with them because guess what? They're going to pick up the offenses even in prayer. It happens. I've watched it for 25 years. We don't go to friends and share the conflict or form alliances. That's how people pick up borrowed offenses and burdens as they get stuck with and they never can deal with them. Jesus says specifically, go to the person alone by yourself. It's clear. I'd encourage you to spend time in prayer before you go and release them before you go. Do the heart work before. It'll it'll be so much better. Go to the person. Do that heart work You're not going to make that person feel bad. If you're going to meet with that person to tell them their fault, to make them feel bad, you need to do more heart work before you go. You aren't going to let them have it. You're not going to get it all off your chest. 
I love it when that happens. It's like this person lets things build up for months, maybe years of offense, and all of a sudden they go to the person that has no idea and they unload it and they think it's all better. It's not better. Nobody's better. Oftentimes the other person may have no clue. So you aren't going to punish them. You aren't going to get some kind of repayment. You have to do the forgiving and the repenting ahead of time so that regardless of the outcome, regardless of the conversation, you have spoken the truth in love and you'll be free in your heart. Are you getting this, church? This is really, really practical. I know it'd be easy to hear all this and say, okay, that's great, that's great. I'm going to just go ahead and still work out however I'm going to work out my relationships. I want to tell you, this is a prescription for how we walk in the kingdom. And it will bring life to the church. And we will show the world who he is when we do this kind of stuff, you guys. I got a quick little story. And we got to close. Um, uh, got home Thursday um, from studying, really, this passage, Matthew 18. And I noticed something was up with my youngest little girl, Ruby. And I said, baby, how was your day at school? And she said, it was okay. And I said, well, what happened? And she didn't want to talk about it, but I pulled her into the room and said, baby, tell me what happened. And she shared something that happened to her that was really painful. A little boy in her class said something really mean and uh, really hurtful to her. And um, uh, can I just be honest? As she told me what that little boy said, um, I felt instant anger. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just being honest. I felt instant anger. Now, feeling instant anger isn't wrong. Um, Just like having a bad thought come into your mind isn't wrong. It's what you do with the thought. It's what you do with the anger, right? So this instant anger. And do you know what what my thought was? Like, this little boy needs Jesus. And I'm gonna send him to him. (laughs) Can I just be honest? He needs a face-to-face meeting with Jesus. That's just me flipping tables. Just kidding. Hey, you think I'm kidding? This is all in a split, like, 30 seconds, all these emotions, and I'm, I'm like, Ruby's watching me. Right? Like, she's watching me. And I'm like... Ooh, how'd that make you feel? She shared how it made her feel. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm still, I'm like, what's his last name? <laughs> no, for real. I'm sorry. I, it was really kind of a foreign experience to me. It, it was very severe. <laughs> um, and uh, we talked through and I said, you know, we need to forgive him, don't we? So what you're feeling though is real. He shouldn't have done that. You know, it's important that we say that shouldn't have been done. This whole thing, forgiveness isn't isn't about like, hey, it's okay. It's not okay. It's actually not okay. In fact, I looked at her and I said, you know what, Ruby, that wasn't okay. I looked at her, I said, look at me in the eyes. I said, that is not okay, honey, that that boy said that to you. He should not have said that to you and it was wrong. Little Johnny, whatever his name was. I'm going to be honest with you, too. I shouldn't tell you. This is live stream. I'll tell the second service. Um, we don't record that one. Um, I'm going to, I looked at her, I said, we, we, need to, we need to forgive Johnny. And I said, but here's what I want you to also understand. Um, that if Johnny does that to you again, you look Johnny in the eyes. And you say, Johnny, I don't want you to treat me like that again. You don't call me things like that and go laugh with your friends, Johnny. I'm looking at this guy. I don't know what your name is. Is it Johnny? <laughs> I'm, I'm pretending like you're Johnny. I'm looking right at you. you. I don't want you to treat me like that again. And I said, Ruby, you look him in the eyes. And if you guys connect in that moment, great. You've made a friend. If you don't... I'll be there. For real. 
And we prayed through this experience. We prayed through it. I said, honey, I want to lead you in a prayer. I said, I, she repeat after me. And I said, if you can't pray what I'm telling you to pray, I don't want you to pray it. You guys, it's the most beautiful exchange. Just, God, we just ask you to, you know, we prayed through it. And we were doing that heart work. And there were a couple moments she couldn't, re- she couldn't repeat. And we worked through it. And I just saw the Holy Spirit just begin to soften her heart and that forgiveness to come, that genuine forgiveness. It doesn't mean it was wrong. It wasn't wrong. It was wrong. But she was able to release that boy. Listen to this, verse 16. Second step, if he doesn't listen, take one or two with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witness, witnesses. I said, Ruby, if he doesn't respond and he does it again, Mom and me will go. We'll be the two. (laughs) And we'll go talk to the teacher about what Johnny has done. Do you understand what I'm saying? As Christians, we don't just lay down and like let everybody like do. You know, there's this place of like there's a process, Jesus says, because Johnny is, is supposed to be a believer. And how many of us have said things that we shouldn't have said before, right? So there's grace for that. I want to encourage you when you go and you talk to that person and bring a couple people, choose wise people to go with you. Don't take offended people with you that are offended because it'll just get worse. Verse 17, Jesus says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now there's a place, and I'm just going to finish this with this, for the church to get involved. Not, Not in this situation, but in relationships in the body of Christ, okay? There's a place for the church to get involved. There's a place for church leadership to get involved to try and bring restoration and reconciliation. And if, and if that is refused, Jesus says, treat him like a tax collector, a Gentile. Well, how did Jesus t- treat tax collectors? He loved them. He loved them, but he knew that they were spiritually clueless, right? So what he's saying here is this means we're going to lovingly and firmly treat you as a non-believer in the gospel until you wake up to the fact that you're acting like a non-believer. Do you see this? What would happen in the body of Christ if we actually followed this through? This is speaking the truth in love, and this is part of what it means to be submitted to one another and submitted to church leadership. That's why we submit ourselves to a local church. It's part of it. To leaders that we trust because sometimes I go spiritually nuts and lose my way and I need somebody to help me get back in line. You're not agreeing with me. It's okay. It's the Bible. I need leaders in my life who are going to correct me. Shake your head if you believe that. That are going to correct me if needed that are going to speak the truth in love until I wake up and step back into my true identity in Jesus. This is why just being in the crowd or being an attender isn't enough. This is why we have membership. This is why we actually submit ourselves to leadership who I give authority to, to cover my life, to call me into how I'm supposed to live in Jesus. Can I hear an amen on that? This is what he's talking about here. He's so detailed with these three steps because relationships matter so much. These two passages here are a picture of what it looks like to make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And it looks like, as far as it depends on me, live at peace with all people. Come on. Let's stand with me this morning. Um, man, did you receive anything from this today? I hope so. Y'all are kind of quiet today, and I've just had such anticipation that God is going to do something with this. I want to just ask you to just close your eyes right now, and I want us to pray, and I want us just to ask the Holy Spirit this simple little question. Holy Spirit, have I grieved you in any way? In the midst of the conflicts, in the midst of the pressures that I've been in, have I grieved you? Have I hurt you? Have my words about someone else hurt you? We just invite you, Holy Spirit, just just to just make us aware right now of anything in our lives that hasn't pleased you. 
because we want to please you. If you're here today and you'd say the answer to that question to him was yes, I just want you to lift your hand in just honesty in the room. Yeah, my hand is going up actually right now too. Have my words hurt someone? Have I, have I held on to offense? Have I been bitter about something? Have I opened the door to offense, to anger? Is there any kind of darkness in me that's grieved you? I just, I really, right now, I just feel like it's an act of repentance. If, if there's something that, that, that's there, would you lift your hand and just keep it up for a minute? So I just believe right now he's going to just, he's going to just move among us in our honest repentance. Yeah. Are there attitudes? Are there mindsets, behaviors that I've partnered with that grieve you? Holy Spirit, I just ask you to wash us now with your word. lifted, let's just say it together. Just say, Father, would you forgive me? Would you wash me clean? Holy Spirit, I don't want to offend you. I don't want to grieve you. I want you close and I welcome you. And the second question is, is Holy Spirit, is there anyone that I need to go and make something right with? Is there anyone that I need to go and make something right with? Just as a show of hands in this moment, how many say... There is someone you need to go make something right with. And that public declaration of that is important. Yeah, hands up all over the room. I thank you now for the grace to go do it. I thank you that there's been an equipping here. I just, I declare over you that as you go and you make those things right, that you're going to do it in humility. You're going to do it in gentleness. You're going to do it in love with a desire, an eager desire to protect the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And I pray that over every one of you today. I pray that we would be everything you desired for us to be. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we turn from these things, as we repent of these things, that the wind of God would blow through our church, that you would blow through our city, and that healing and reconciliation and a move of the Spirit that you desire would happen in our church as we follow you in obedience and we respond to your voice. And I pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we thank the Lord for this? Thank him for his word. I believe today is going to be transformational. These next days, you're going to walk into places and he's going to be with you as you make wrong things right. It's going to be so good. God bless you. I encourage you, respond to his voice, what he spoke to you today in obedience. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night.